Yeah, it's kind of all I've heard too, where everyone is either like whatever about this movie or they're like Scoob ruined my childhood. This movie <laughs> is the worst because apparently there's like some weird Simon Cowell uh, just cameo in there and they go to space at some point. Just uh, very bizarre. Um, but yeah, I can't say I'm like with like trolls and this and then like the hunt and like all these other movies that have come really like I'm in the mode now where it's like, eh, it's $20 is kind of a lot. I'll wait till it's like a, re- like a regular streaming price or something like that. I just, I mean, I don't know. I'm just an older dude. So maybe Scoob isn't <laughs> pointed towards me, but it just, it's just kind of there for me personally. Yeah, you know what? Um, I was I was on the fence with this movie uh, in terms of renting it. I think it'd be fine to watch with, I guess, the family and stuff like that. But um, I, I was waiting to see how good it was because at that price of twenty dollars, it seems like a little bit much. And with when the reviews were kind of mixed, I, I I decided, you know what? I'm just going to wait till it drops to say the uh, regular six dollar rental price in a few months or so. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how this movie does i feel like this movie will do better than uh, trolls world tour i don't know why i think that's just an inkling i have i feel like it made a bit more of a boom in terms of social media they had that massive tiktok challenge that garnered a total of four billion views across all uh, the posts for it I, I think that they just put a lot into promoting this film and obviously i scooby-doo is, is a much more known property than the trolls um so I do feel like this movie will do better on VOD than Trolls World Tour, and that'll be very interesting to look at. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is something that I'm definitely going to wait for when, when the price drops. Yeah, this is something that I probably would have been excited to see in theaters, but now that I actually have to pay like $20 to see it, I just didn't really have a desire to. And yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'll wait, and then hopefully in another month or so, it'll be like $3 to rent on Amazon, and then I'll go ahead and check it out. Um, but there's just not a big drive to go see it. And from what I've heard is everybody's big complaint with this movie seems to be that it feels kind of like the mummy in the sense that they're trying to cram all of these properties into one movie. So like in the trailers, you already see like uh, Dick Dastardly and some of the wacky racist characters and apparently Simon Cowell cameos, just like all these other Hanna-Barbera characters are just kind of crammed into the movie from what I understand. And so that also somewhat kills my drive because when I go see a movie called Scoob, I would hope it would mainly be a Scooby-Doo movie. And from what I heard, this is not. Yeah, it's really bizarre, isn't it? Because like you see the trailer for it and I actually thought the first trailer was kind of cute because it's just it's like that whole scene where Scooby and Shaggy like meet each other for the first time. And it's like you're like, yeah, this really isn't like this isn't my Scooby-Doo, <laughs> I guess is the way to describe it. But it looks kind of cute. Uh, but then, yeah, you hear all this stuff about, like like I said, like going to space <laughs> and you have all these different weird things. Like it's a, it's a very strange property to try to cram a bunch of stuff into. Like I know like, like everyone, I feel like everyone, even if they haven't watched like the cartoons growing up or anything like that, like I feel like everyone knows Scooby-Doo. So like it, it does, it feels kind of weird to be like, all right, we need to like build our Scooby-Doo cinematic universe off of this movie it just feels so weird to me yeah it's just another one of those films that is is trying to obviously start something right away in the first movie and i don't know i mean it's it's tough i I wonder how they'll do i think that's the big thing i think we're gonna have to wait a little while see how they do in terms of uh uh, dollar figures i think that'll be the interesting thing but overall in terms of just this film in general it, it seemed um like like the reception was this thing really didn't have much of a focus Yeah, and the other complaint that I've seen a lot of is the fact that most of the voice actors that have been voicing um, all the main cast, especially like Matthew Lillard, who's been voicing Shaggy pretty much since he played him in the actual live action movies, were kind of cut from from their characters and recast without any of them knowing till it was announced. So I know that was like a big deal. And a lot of people, especially that are fans of like, the older live action Scooby-Doo movies and like the cartoons for the past 20 years have been kind of upset with how they handled that transition. I think that's a, that's kind of a a low blow. Even I feel like, I mean, they wanted to obviously go the theatrical route. And with that, you probably need to throw some big names out there. Um, Like obviously Zach Efron, Gina Rodriguez, Mark Wahlberg, who have joined uh, onto this film. But I think that's kind of sad, especially when you look even at uh, Matthew Lillard's kind of filmography and you look at, some of his acting credits and he was in two uh he was in 
Scooby-Doo content as recent as 2019. So I think that's kind of a, a sad, sad scenario. It is kind of weird when you see that when you like for like a lot of these animated movies where they just like don't like care about people who have been voicing those like those characters for a while. Like you do see you see a lot of that with like the DC stuff where all the DC animated things and then they just kind of like, oh, yeah, they're they're their own thing. Don't really worry about them. But we're going to do something different for these movies. Uh, it's just weird. Like you have like a bunch of people who love that version of it and. I mean, I'm never one to be like, hey, like we need to do everything by the book and need to be as faithful as possible. But it feels a little weird when you're just like, nah, we don't need to worry about you at all. So it, it is very strange. And like, yeah, like I grew up on the Scooby-Doo movies. Um, I don't really remember the second one at all. But the one thing I do remember is Matthew Lillard. Uh, just really good in those movies. I feel like they're all pretty well cast. Like you got Linda mm-hmm. Cardellini in there and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. Like, I feel like they're all, like, it's a really solid cast, and you can say what you want about those movies, but um, it is kind of bizarre that they would be like, ah, we don't really need to worry about these people anymore. Yeah, I think, and kind of diving into those movies a little bit, um, I just kind of got on a Scooby-Doo kick when this weekend came out. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I was looking forward to this movie, but I'm not $20 uh, upfront payment looking forward to this movie. Uh, but fortunately, long ago, I owned the Scooby-Doo movies on DVD and at some point must have converted them to digital. And so I watched them for, in my voodoo library this weekend. And let me tell you, those are those are some bizarre movies. But I had so much fun. <laughs> is, Mar- and, is Marvin Schwarz saying what a picture or no? It was just the first one I, I have a lot of issues with because I think it's I like I I like what's happening and I hate what's happening at the same time. <laughs> but the second one is just the perfect amount of like goofy cartoon live action blend. It's just it's wonderful. It was so much fun. And kind of like you said like the cast is all just really really good in it. Um especially Matthew Lillard like he just kind of personifies that cartoon Shaggy that I grew up with. And so like you could convince me that was the same person that had been voicing him since the 60s and I'd be like yeah, that's I, that makes sense. And even just like Freddie Prince Jr. and Linda Carlini and Sarah Michelle Gellar are all just hamming it up and just having a good time. And I think the cast just keeps those movies from falling apart into complete unwatchable nonsense. No, you're yeah, right. Totally. 100%. 100%. I think they're, they're wacky movies. I, I remember the second one quite well. I remember that's the one I watched a lot growing up. And uh, they are really wacky films when you think about it. But that cast really does hold them together and, and they're all just wonderful in, in the movies and it, they are fun to watch despite how zany they may be. Um, those are fun movies to watch. Yeah. I'm the other way where I don't remember the second movie at all. Um, but like I, I remember the first movie a lot and I'm kind of like Colin where it's like, I'm watching this, but I, I don't, I don't think I like any of this, but <laughs> then also I do like this. Uh, it's very bizarre. Um, it's kind of like how I feel about Capone, which we'll talk about later. Um, but it's just like the few things that I do remember is one, the cast, they're all just like all those actors are just going nuts with it. They're just they know it. They know exactly what kind of movie they're in. And then the second part is just awful CGI <laughs> because we were in that time where like CGI was like, oh, yeah, we can do all this cool stuff, but we really still can't do all this stuff because it looks terrible. And so you have like all of like those just like very like proto cgi monsters um and then like in both of these movies i feel like just scooby-doo just looks terrible (laughs) he's doing like all these crazy backflips and whatnot um i feel like it makes sense right because they wanted to do something weird with that character so like you really like can't just do a dog and you don't want to do a cgi mouth like my favorite movie show dogs so (laughs) (laughs) like it makes a lot of sense right um but yeah like all most of it i remember weirdly is guys if you remember like isla fisher is in that first one right and there's like yeah. that one scene. there's that one scene where it's really bizarre. I feel like it hit me at the right age where this is like scary to me. Um, but like they're like on like those mopeds in the jungle, uh, and she gets hit with a branch, and then there's she's like a monster underneath, and it's just like her face just looks like a one giant like gelatinous CGI noodle. <laughs> and you're like, ah, this is weird. <laughs> but it's like it's also terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, what a bizarre, what a bizarre, bizarre movie. Yeah. The first one just really irritates me because so like when I was a kid, we didn't have Cartoon Network, but we had Boomerang. And so like I would watch all the like classic Scooby-Doo series all the time. And my favorite character was Scrappy-Doo. 
which if you've seen the uh, the first Scooby-Doo live-action movie, they decided to make him the bad guy for some reason. Oh, and that's just, right. I'll never forgive James Gunn. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for his other movies, but I'm always going to hold that one against him. Just the biggest <laughs> cartoon dog injustice of my lifetime. <laughs> taking like taking them <laughs> like the only like badass character in scooby-doo and just like turning him into a like a pee gag in his first scene and then just a really really weird villain for the rest of the movie i'll just i'll never get over it <laughs> colin's over here being not my before, <laughs> before we uh before scooby-doo. we wrap before we wrap up a little on scooby-doo i do have a quick little tidbit that i think is hilarious um tim curry it says here he's a lifelong scooby-doo fan and he was offered the role of uh this is in the first live action scooby-doo he was offered the role of a uh, mandavarius but he turned it down after learning the film would include scrappy-doo a character he strongly dislikes <laughs> oh, now i have to hate tim curry too <laughs> incredible tim curry what a guy but uh i will say like the second one is definitely like a much lighter tone but it's also a lot goofier and then you have like uh, Peter Boyle's in that movie. Tim Blake Nelson, or Alicia Silverstone. No, Tim Blake Nelson is playing a character who's also being played by Alicia Silverstone, uh, which is just wonderful. Like Seth Green's in the movie, and it's just, it's perfect. It's bad, but it's perfect. <laughs> I posed this question, like, I think it's interesting to talk about, but we talked about it a little before we came on here, but is I feel like these movies are kind of like the Space Jam like for us because they're like it's like what they're like seven ish years after space jam seven eight years after those and i feel like we've all started to come around and like yeah space jam is kind of terrible but if you grew up with it you're like you're weirdly in love with it for some reason i feel like that that's kind of similar with these scooby-doo movies because they're so like we all like remember them i remember watching them and we kind of fun memories of them but we're also like yeah these things are just like not good like at all uh, it's i wonder if that if other people feel that same way I think so. I think that's a pretty good assessment. Yeah, I think they have a pretty solid, like, cult following. Um, I don't even know if you need to call it a cult following because they were pretty popular when they came out. But I feel like everybody is pretty on board with these movies, even if they're not everybody's favorite. Yeah, it's like, I feel like, I think it all comes back to the cast, weirdly enough, because everyone's just like, I like Matthew Lillard a lot. And I feel like weirdly that's just like a defining like role for him in his entire career. Cause like what else has he been in that you guys can think of? Like, I don't scream. know, like, <laughs> oh yeah, maybe scream, but uh, weirdly my mind went to like trouble with the curve. Remember that movie? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like it's just, it, for some reason, like this movie just hit and I feel like it, I feel like nost- nostalgia is obviously a big part of it. Right. But um, I, yeah, I don't know why people just, People just like these. They made a lot of money, but um, yeah, they're just like, they're just kind of like weird oddities of the 2000s that just a really weird time in movies in general. Yeah, so there were plans for a third movie in this trilogy. And because of the reception to the movie, they decided not to move forward with it. They did like, <laughs> they did like a couple of Cartoon Network prequels that I remember being on when I was a kid. But, you know, I, I think... We really need, before we get Guardians 3, I think James <laughs> Gunn owes it to us to finish his first trilogy. <laughs> I also like how these are kind of retroactively James Gunn's movies, even though he didn't direct either of them. I mean, he was the writer, but um, they, they just get really heavily associated with him as being kind of the person behind them, even though that's not entirely true. I think it's time to start a petition for uh, the third film. I'm ready. I'll sign that petition. You got one vote. You got two. <laughs> Brennan, can we get three? There you go. We got three. I think we're leaving the pod today with three signatures for uh, Scooby-Doo 3. <laughs> and that's all they'll ever get. <laughs> um, so unless we have anything else to add on the illustrious movie career of Scooby-Doo, <laughs> I think we can uh, move on to the Netflix top ten this week, uh, which has been... I think it's been shaken up quite a bit. I mean, we still have a couple mainstays from the past few weeks, but I'm seeing a lot of newcomers on this week's list. Um, so I'll just run through it real quick, and we'll touch on the movies that we feel are worth talking about, because unfortunately with Netflix, for every movie you want to talk about, there are like 20 that no one's ever seen. So uh, in the number one spot this week, we had The Wrong Missy, 
followed by Public Enemies at number two, John Henry at number three, Have a Good Trip, Adventures in Psychedelics, at number four, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy versus the Reverend Interactive Movie, at number five, Extraction, still in the top ten at number six, Despicable Me has like been hanging out in the bottom half, still at number seven, The Willoughby's at number eight, The House at the End of the Street, number nine, and Lockout, number ten. Um, so again, we kind of have our mainstays, Despicable Me, The Willoughby's, and extraction uh but the wrong missy is kind of the hot topic this week and i know uh brennan's a huge fan of this movie <laughs> oh god <laughs> you know what there was there was a uh i think it was like halfway through the movie and i was just sitting there i'm like you know what i'm just gonna pay good attention here and if i'm able to uh, laugh more than two times for the rest of the movie i'll i'll up it half a star and uh no nah, i couldn't get there yeah it's uh it's something, isn't it? <laughs> um, well, I was I was watching this movie, and it has all of the ha- the hallmarks of a Happy Madison movie, right? Where it's like you have all of Adam Sandler's buddies, his wife is in there. Um, they all go to like a retreat, in like on like a in Hawaii or whatever it is, just a tropical island, and like they do like weird hijinks, and then oh, there's a love story, and then the movie's over. Then ninety minutes. That's what like all these movies are. Um, for some reason, I. I mean, this movie's not good, but, like, I didn't, like, have, like, the same anger for it. I don't know. I feel like, for some reason, it, like, looked like a movie. Because, you know, like, I feel like one of the good examples is, you remember in Jack and Jill when they're at, like, the basketball game and there's, like, two seats? It's, like, they have, like, a, a row of seats that they're showing that that's supposed to be the basketball game that they're at. And it looks so cheap. Uh, but this one, like, it actually, like, looked like a movie. Like, there was some use of shadow in there. And I was like, oh, look at this. It's very cinematic. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's it's really bad though. Um, Lauren Lapkus is in this movie, and she's uh, just incredibly obnoxious. I just feel bad for her because I really like her as an actress, but she's just going for it, um, and she's just like yelling the entire movie. Like, so the premise is like David Spade like has a terrible blind date with Missy, played by Lauren Lapkus, um, and it just goes horrible. And he meets a another Missy later on, who's just like is supposed to be like his dream girl. Um, they depart and then like later he like texts Missy to go, to go on his retreat. He's like, Hey, why not? Like, let's see what happens. Um, but then he texts the wrong one and then hijinks ensue and then the bad Missy comes and then there's all that <laughs> stuff going on. And he has to introduce her to all the people in his firm and it's, they just do business stuff. Their, <laughs> their firm I thought was really funny. Their firm name is uh, credit for America <laughs> or like something like that. It's just so generic. <laughs> it's so funny. It made me laugh really hard. Um, but I don't know, like so for some reason, maybe I was in a decent mood. Um, this movie wasn't the worst thing I've seen from happy Madison, which like I said, is not a ring endorsement considering the stuff they've made, but I don't know. Here's a, here's a question for you guys. Uh, when do you think was the last time happy Madison had a movie that would be ranked positive or fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I'm gonna go with uh, never. I'm gonna go with. I'll say ten years. Uh, it's actually eleven years, so you're pretty close. It was a uh, 2009's Funny People, and that's only the second pos- second fresh movie <laughs> that Happy <laughs> Madison has ever produced. <laughs> the first being Rain Over Me from 2007. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is all of their movies and this, i mean this isn't this is no secret like the, all the budgets are so incredibly inflated mm-hmm. like because they're all just like it's just they're all getting paid up front like all of adam sandler's friends like i'm looking at it now like i now pronounce you chuck and larry cost 85 million dollars <laughs> like you don't mess with the Zohan costs like 90 million dollars like I think Jack and Jill was like a 70 million dollar movie like it is just so crazy to see like how much they do this but for some reason like like there's no like the Missy is num- uh, the wrong Missy is number one this week like people there is an audience for these movies even though <laughs> we might dislike them as strongly as we do we got a Halloween movie too coming this year from uh, the Happy Madison team uh, coming in 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 the fall, so looking forward to that. <laughs> Where's uh, Grown Ups Three? Speaking of trilogies, they need a conclusion. <laughs> I think it's about time. Uh, but like, so I make fun of Happy Madison movies, but honestly, like I've seen the first Grown Ups so many times because I was in middle school when that came out, and so that was just constantly on Netflix too. 
So I've like I've definitely seen most of these movies, even if they are almost all completely terrible. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm in the same boat. Um, I actually really like Funny People. I think Funny People is a generally good movie. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's anything else I really like. I have a soft spot for Grandma's Boy. I don't know why. <laughs> you guys ever see that? For some reason, I just watched that a ton when I was little. Um, Click, I kind of like. Um, yeah, we, that. we we yeah. uh, we stand Click. I think uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop is just a meme goldmine. <laughs> That's true. It's better for the memes than the actual movie itself. But I think it's... there's like there's weirdly some fun action sequences in that movie too. So I I stand Paul Blart. <laughs> <laughs> The ridiculous six? No, anybody? No mm, pass. Mm, 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 mm. That, that's like that's like the bottom of the barrel. But there are a few okay ones. Like the longest yards, like not a bad movie. Like it, it's you can watch it. It's watchable. I think Fifty First Dates kind of falls in that too. Like they're they're not good, but they're I think they're there's some enjoyment to be had. Yeah, that's true. I the bench warmers hit me at a really like just a perfect spot when I was like still playing little league baseball. And for some reason, I just like I just loved that movie so much. I saw it so many times as a kid. Um, I feel like that is kind of like the audience for these movies where they're like like 13 year old boys, like 12, 13 year old boys who just think like any dick joke is the funniest thing they've ever seen. I feel like that's like exactly what these movies are going for. And just speaking of uh, the Benchformers, that 2006 was prime Happy Madison. You had Grandma's Boy, the Benchformers and Click. (laughs) The Golden Great Year. You had so, uh, an outbranch Chuck and Larry the year later, just just cinema at its finest. <laughs> and then the downfall began with Don't Mess with the Zohan in 2008. <laughs> and they never looked back from there. And then Bucky Larson. You remember Bucky Larson? <laughs> <laughs> I know oh, it's uh, one of the worst movies ever made, but that's about it. <laughs> I remember watching it, and it was I was I was still what I was. I was like 15 when that came out, something like that, and I hated it so much. It was so terrible. Oh my god, just Nick Schwartz and just get him away from my face. It's just the worst. <laughs> it's just the worst thing ever. Oh my god. So yeah, that is uh, what I to see. Uh, and all, all of our Happy Madison stories. Um, but the next up, we uh, we've already talked about Public Enemies and John Henry in the past couple weeks. Um, so we won't we won't make Brennan think through John Henry anymore. But uh, have a good trip. Adventures in psychedelics is also high up there. Um, I don't personally have a lot to say about it, but I know you guys had some thoughts. Guys, what if now stay with me here? What if we got a bunch of celebrities to talk about that one time they got really high? Isn't that hilarious? That's basically this movie. That's all that happens oh. in this movie. Um. So yeah, basically it's a documentary that I think was actually supposed to play at South by Southwest. So it's kind of bizarre, but it's just, it's a group of like comedy actors, like Rob Corddry is in there, Nick Swardson is in there, um, Adam Scott, and like they have, there's a bunch of other celebrity cameos too. Like Anthony Bourdain shows up, which was just surreal to see, and Carrie Fisher as well. Um, Sting makes an appearance. <laughs> um, but it's just a bunch of just conversations about them trying LSD or or peyote or just any other um, psychedelic drug and like just their stories that they've had. Um, So there's like, you, like you hear that premise and you're like, ah, this is probably pretty funny. Then you watch it and you're just like, Oh, well, this is great. I guess (laughs) Um, it's, it's about as fun as any time anyone's explained being high to you uh, is. It's just not very funny. Like it's like the very stereotypical, like, drug stories where people are like oh i like i melted into my bed <laughs> and i couldn't move <laughs> like it's like stuff like that or it's like they're like oh what is time what is like what's happening to me like it's really not that fun weirdly enough um and it is kind of it's kind of like there's a little part of me that felt a little icky when i was watching like anthony bourdain and carrie fisher talk about like hilariously talk about their drug encounters because like i'd like both of them had like serious like issues throughout their life with drug dependencies and they're mm-hmm. now both dead. So that was like, I, I was like, eh, I don't really know how I feel about this. This is all supposed to be pretty lighthearted. Um, but I don't know, like if you're really in LSD, maybe this is a movie for you. Maybe this is your black pants. Um, <laughs> but I, 
I don't know. It just, I was watching this entire thing and I was like, why, why does this exist? I couldn't come up with an answer. Yeah, I don't know if I ever really plan on diving into this movie at all. So as, this as is probably should. my only exposure. <laughs> as you shouldn't. It's just, I don't know. Like, Netflix, like, I feel like this is great for the algorithm because, like, they put this on the home screen and, like, someone, they're like, what? They're talking about drugs? No way. This is sick. And then it comes up as fourth on the top ten movies in the U.S. And then they may get more subscribers. But I don't know. Like, it's... They try to do like it's not funny enough because they're just like recounting drug stories and there's like animation that goes along with it, which is, I don't know, fine. Um, but it's it's not like educational enough. Like it doesn't like quite go deep into like what it's doing to your brain or anything like that. Um, and it's not like good enough as like advocacy either. Like they try to do like, oh, like maybe this could like help people with mental illness or things like that. Um, and they don't quite go deep enough on that. It's just kind of like listen to people you like talk about drugs, which I guess your mileage may vary on that, which mine did, obviously, because it was just like, I just sat there and just kind of got annoyed <laughs> after a while. Yeah, so the, <laughs> that was Nick's not-so-good trip with having a good trip. <laughs> I see what you did there. Jokes. Um, <laughs> then the, uh, the bigger movie for me this weekend was the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt interactive movie, Kimmy versus the Reverend. So this show ended last year, and then they announced that they were doing an interactive movie after uh, Black Mirror tried it and Bandersnatch really took off. Uh, so I started this movie Friday morning because I saw the runtime was an hour and a half, and I was like, all right, I can get through it, and then like I have to leave in a little bit, so I'll, I'll do this and then go on with my day. Uh, but I kept picking all the wrong answers, so an hour and a half later, I was like 25% through the movie. Um, so I have yet to come back to it, but it just is really dumb and irreverent as the TV show was. And you get to like, choose to be nonsensical. Um, like <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe is in this movie and like, whenever you pick a wrong answer, they'll break off into like this little fourth wall breaking little couch scene where everybody like acknowledges that Daniel Radcliffe is Daniel Radcliffe, except for Daniel Radcliffe. So they're like, <laughs> There's like a seat. There's like a choice early on where you can uh, choose to make him leave the story, and so then it breaks and it's like, and did we really get Daniel Radcliffe for that small of a role? And then all the characters <laughs> like, oh, that's messed up. And then Daniel Radcliffe's character is like, who is he? <laughs> I like that. That's funny. I like that too. I like Daniel Radcliffe's post Harry Potter career because he's just like, I'm just going to do whatever I want because I have so much money, and if you if I think this is funny, I'm going to do it even if it's like Guns Akimbo. Remember that movie? Yep. <laughs> Swiss Army Man is peak Radcliffe. <laughs> I agree. I'm I'm full in on Swiss Army Man and his farts. <laughs> I think it's really interesting with uh like Radcliffe and Robert Pattinson because you know they I mean obviously Radcliffe was in it a lot longer just like with how long the Harry Potter movies were going on but you like see these two actors who started off pretty young and then I guess even Pattinson was in Harry Potter. And uh, just, like, after they made their money on the big franchise, they're just going out and doing weird stuff. And, like, Pattinson's at least doing, like, more complex psychological stuff. And then Radcliffe's just, like, in a corner playing with Legos, doing as weird of movies as he can find. And it's just kind of... <laughs> He's doing... Uh, what's that What's that one movie he was in? The, the uh, That Lego movie kind of ripoff? Oh! What was that thing? We made fun of it for uh, ten years. Playmobil movie. The Playmobil movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, even I'd throw uh, Kristen Stewart into there too after Twilight. I think she's gone off and done a lot of interesting things since that franchise. Um, but just speaking of Daniel Radcliffe, I watched uh, Jungle recently. Have you guys seen Jungle? No, I haven't. It's just like a movie, a very, very small movie. It came out in 2017 about uh, a true story about someone who got lost for a couple of weeks in a uh, South American jungle. And he, he puts on, like, I didn't love the film. It was a fine watch, but he puts on on a really good physical performance in that movie. I think uh, you're right. I mean, he's had a really interesting career post uh, Harry Potter. So how about Kimmy Schmidt, like the thing itself? Like, is it like, cause I remember, is it, I think this is the first like interactive thing since Bandersnatch, right? So like, is it improved at all? Or like, is it like fun or is it just kind of like you pick something wrong and it's like, Oh no, you can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's a little tedious because with, 
Bandersnatch, like it was definitely a lot more meta, and so they fleshed everything out. Whereas with this one, like if you pick the wrong answer, then it'll just break off from the story, give you like a little funny way of saying you picked the wrong thing and then you'll rewind and go do it again. Whereas like with Bandersnatch, it felt more like a maze you were getting deeper into. With Kimmy Schmidt, it feels like you hit a dead end, you turn around and then go the way they wanted you to go. But that's, like, that's I mean, I, I spent an hour and a half picking wrong answers, sometimes on purpose and sometimes just because I thought they were the right answers and they weren't. Um, and it like it was just a lot of fun doing it. So would recommend I'll probably try and finish it tonight. Yeah, I'm wondering at some point, like, because I feel like both of these, like this and Bandersnatch, I feel like are both kind of like like prototypes in this kind of like storytelling. I'm waiting for like some like really cool, like some really cool creative person. I don't know, like a Guillermo del Toro or just some, someone just like off the wall to just like come in and be like, no, I want to do something interactive and it like blows our minds. Cause I feel like there is something untapped with all of this. And maybe it's just like, like crazy amount of possibilities. Like they don't like, they don't tell you like, no, that's wrong. But like they keep like building off of it. So maybe that takes like, I don't know, like 10 years to make or something like that. But I think I, I'm still waiting. I feel like there's a lot of untapped potential in this, in this way of storytelling. You're right. I think there's there's definitely something there, and imagine that like a real, uh, a, a real like just just big name director coming in and picking up a project like that. I think that'd be a really interesting uh, interesting thing. I picture this a Happy Madison interactive adventure. <laughs> you get to pick which of Adam Sandler's friends are in the movie. You get to pick which beach you go to. <laughs> Except it's just super lazy. So like. Every time you try to click something, it's like, nah, sorry, I don't have the energy to do that. <laughs> Go back to the first one. Just make click the fart joke option. <laughs> yeah, so that is the Netflix top 10. Uh, unless you guys have anything else to say about it, we could move on to uh, what is probably the most talked about release of 2020 at this point. Um, just crazy reactions across the board for Capone. And Tom Hardy is rivaling his performance in Venom, from what I've heard so far. <laughs> um, and it's, I, I've heard, and I, I haven't checked it out yet, but I've heard it's something that you just can't look away from. Guys, Capone, holy fuck. <laughs> um, I've seen this movie and can confirm it's just incredibly off the wall and insane. Um, so I guess for. For people who don't know, the the story is based off of Al Capone's last year of life. So he's just down in Florida, chilling in his big mansion. Um, he's he was released from prison, where he's there for like ten years or something like that. And he has a neurosyphilis, which is just like destroying his mind. So by the time you see him, like when you see Tom Hardy and the ten pounds of makeup that he has on, uh, he's just like already like probably like at like thirty percent of his mind. <laughs> like he's like. He has no idea what's happening and he'll have like these like moments of like clarity where he has like a speech and you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, and it just gets worse and worse. Um, so it's basically uh, just uh, just Tom Hardy just going nuts <laughs> for an hour and like 40 minutes or however long this movie is. Um, I heard someone explain his performance and it's like the best thing possible where it's equal parts good and the worst of Marlon Brando. Um, cause he's like totally inhabiting this incontinent Al Capone who's just shitting, shitting the bed, literally. Um, that's not a joke that happens in the movie. <laughs> and he's like, at one point, like, they're like, all right, no more cigars. Cause he's chomping on a cigar every, like in every scene. So they, the doctor replaces it with a carrot. <laughs> so he's just walking around with a carrot in his mouth. Um, but it's just so bizarre to see this, um, like Colin alluded to, I can't say this movie's good um, at all, but I could not, I, I just couldn't look like, even like, I think even in the good movies I have, when I watch at home, I have a bad attention span. So I have like, I have the, the desire sometimes to like, just like check my phone, but like, that was not the case with Capone. I just couldn't stop staring at all, all that was happening on this movie. And there's like multiple shitting scenes and he's just like Tom Hardy, just like yelling for like no reason oh my god like capone <laughs> josh trank following up fantastic four with a bang it's it's something i mean it, there's a lot to talk about for sure and it's 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 one that i definitely want to check out soon and i mean one thing you can't uh take from tom hardy i mean he really puts it all into pretty much every role he has 
Yeah, it's... I don't even know. Like, he... I can't tell if he's, like, like trolling all of us with, like, some of his performances. Because I feel like he kind of has that in him as an actor where he's like, I don't care. I'm going to torpedo through this movie and do whatever the hell I want. Like, even, like, Mad Max, uh, Fury Road, where he's just... Like, he's kind of, like, insane. Like, the entire... Like, even though I... Like, that's, like, one of my favorite movies ever. But, like, the <laughs> at the same time, you're like, what is Tom Hardy doing in this movie? Like, he's just kind of grunting. <laughs> he's just, like, he's kind of grunting. Um, but then, in this movie, like, apparently, like, him and Josh Trank are, like, best buddies now. Like, they'll, like... They just, like, play video games together, which is something. Um, but, like, he just, like, lets them loose. And he's just doing all these crazy ticks. He's like drooling from the mouth and like everything. Like his eyes are like absurdly bloodshot. Like the the stuff like I guess like it's like a digital effect, but his eyes look like Anakin's <laughs> eyes in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> they're, they're so red and bloodshot. It looks insane. And he he looks like a hilarious looking ghost <laughs> this entire movie. Like he has so much makeup on. Um yeah, I don't know. Like Josh Trank, just one of the strangest careers. Like you start with Chronicle, which I feel like everyone likes. Uh, and then Fantastic Four, which is just kind of one of like the worst like studio meddling jobs like ever, or at least of like the like the since two thousand or something like that. Just like everyone was like, yeah, this movie was just like like destroyed to hell in post production. Um, then you have this movie, which is just like he's been saying how like this is the movie he wanted to make. Um, he's really proud of it. Um, and it's just like one of the craziest things I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I feel like it's like, it's like legitimately the most insane movie I've seen this year. Um, so I don't really know. I, I feel like, I don't know if I have stock in Josh Trank as a director, but I am curious as hell for what he does next. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Chronicle. I think that's a good movie. Um, and fantastic for, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of issues there, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, good for him to be, to be proud of this and, and yeah. And just to kind of have this experience following just kind of what went on with it, Fantastic Four. Yeah, there's a scene. Uh, I don't want to spoil this, um, but I'll leave people with this image. There's a scene. It's kind of, I think it's kind of like the pivotal, like final scene. But like, so it's um, all, it includes a diaper, a Tommy gun, and a carrot, and that's <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> uh, I love it that is a funny cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> it really is like. The voice he's putting on the entire time, it's so cartoonish, but also, like, there's, like, an ounce of, like, ah, oh, there's something to this. Um, there's, like, a few, there's, like, a few moments in this movie where you're, like, like, there's something, like, there's something here. Um, but then it's just, like, yeah, it gets back into just hilarity. And I can't tell if, like, it's intentional or not. It's the weird thing. Like, it's the movie he wanted to make, like I said. So, like, there's a, clearly, like, intentionality behind this, but it's just, oh, it's so weird. Um, I guess the one thing it does do is it's really good at getting like, you know, like we have like these gangster, like, like icons that we, I don't know if we look up to is the wrong word, but we kind of like hold in some regard because they're, it's, I don't know, it's like some combination of nostalgia and our fascination with crime or whatever like that. But um, I feel like this movie effectively gets rid of all of that for Capone because <laughs> he's just an old dude just shitting in the wind. <laughs> So, like, I feel like if the movie's successful at all, it's in that, or it's just like, yeah, Capone is just, he died, it's just like this terrible, just disgusting man. So, I don't know. Maybe that's what this movie's getting at. Uh, who knows? It's it's something. I encourage people to check it out, because it's just, it's so bizarre. I'm in. <laughs> it's so weird. I can't get over it. Um, so, yeah, that's Capone, and then... Uh, we've all been filling our theater-shaped void uh, with with older movies. I know Nick and I have been jumping through Criterion Channel a little bit. Um, I did that for about the first half of the week and watched Utter Nonsense for the second half. So uh, I started off with The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which, you know, I'm not very big into German expressionism. Like, I haven't seen that many uh, films of that nature, but I wanted to check this one out because I'd always, I'd, I'd heard a lot of good things about it. Um, it's just it's a really entertaining movie. Um, I'm always kind of nervous with silent era movies because I mean, there's no dialogue and, and you really have to be focused on everything that's happening or you're going to miss chunks of visual information being thrown out. Um, but I really loved the set design in this movie for one thing. And then there's a, a pretty good twist at the end. And I was, you know, creepy and horrific in a way I didn't expect a hundred year old movie to be. 
Is is it in good shape the movie? Because I I was watching the Lady of Shanghai on Criterion the other day, the other which I'm still working through, but you can see where some frames of it like it's like like the film was like struggling to hold on. But is is it does it look decent? It was in pretty good shape. You definitely can see parts of the movie where they clearly didn't have like a good frame for because it, it'll just skip a frame or two. Um, and then there are some parts where you'll see the like the holes come through. Uh, but overall, it was in pretty solid shape for how old it is. I'm always fascinated by that, where it's just like these, because that there was like no like record keeping or anything like that with older movies, where it's like, oh yeah, we're just gonna like throw this film in like a bin, and it's just gonna be somewhere <laughs> like they had, like they just did not keep like care of any of these. So it's always fascinating when you see like these well like, these highly regarded older movies that are like just like touchstones of just capital C cinema. And they have scenes where it's like, ah, the, the film's about to rip apart, like hold on movie. <laughs> I always think that's interesting to look at. Um, Cause you have movies like Nosferatu, which was um, I believe the same year. And like at one point, every copy of that movie was thought to have been destroyed. And then they just like found an intact copy in the eighties. Um, that, that is like the version of it we can see today. So it's really interesting to see, just like how some of these movies barely survived because <laughs> nobody really thought anything of them. Yeah, and even Brennan's favorite thing ever, the original King Kong, like they've <laughs> seen the spider sequence and then they tried to re- they've tried to recreate it so many times. It's just it is so fascinating to me. I mean, I'm sure it's like hindsight's 2020 at this point, right? Because we're we all love all of these things, but <laughs> it's just so crazy to me. They were like, ah, who cares? Just put it put it in the corner. I don't know. <laughs> No, you're right. It's 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 an odd thing that they didn't really think about it. But yeah, that that bug scene in the original 1933, there's just that one image of it because it, it was it was it was too haunting to audiences, so they cut it out and then they they uh, apparently a lot of it got burned, right, and lost. Um, but uh, speaking of Kong, I'm going through a Kongathon right now, and I finally for the first time ever watched the sequel to the original 1933 film king kong and it's called the son of kong now this is just an odd thing imagine if we had this today so the original king kong comes out in march of 1933 crazy crazy success biggest movie in the planet at the time and then right away the studio says let's write shoot produce edit let's put out a sequel within nine months and they did it and the sequel came out in december of that same year and i finally got to watch that yesterday for the first time and it's it's a lot campier than the first one i know colin you saw the uh 1930 three king kong like in march i believe because it came back to theaters for for a day or two um it's a lot campier than that because the 1933 king kong is a little bit horrifying like the way they portray kong is definitely much more um villainous than he's portrayed in some of the more recent adaptations but son, son of kong is a lot more campy and lighthearted. um and it, i don't know it's just it, it feels like one of the most thrown together movies you'll ever see and i think that's what happens when you shoot a movie in nine months um but it, imagine that today like say scoob is is a success we're looking at this <laughs> december or january with the sequel right like it's it, it's a weird thing yeah what was the last example of that maybe like the matrix movies maybe yeah well, that's they, what but, i was thinking but they, they, they had filmed that in advance they just filmed it all at once right they didn't correct uh, yeah even then because they they filmed so they came out in 2003 but they both came out that year. So there was like a four year gap where they made two movies in between 99 when the first one came out and 2003 when they released them six months apart, which just seems really bizarre. Yeah. yeah like with so this, they're just, they're, they're not planning to do a sequel of King Kong. They just, they just like, they, they see the success right away and literally they're like, you know what, let's green light it. Let's get a sequel going. And you know what? The, the movie's all right. I mean, I don't think it's that great. It's very like watching it. You just feel like, like why this is the thing. But uh, the guy who plays Carl Denham, uh, Robert Ar- Armstrong, he returns uh, for the sequel. And he he has a lot of charisma. He's he's solid. Uh, Colin, in my opinion, he's one of the stronger parts of the original 1933 film. Would you? I think so. And I think for me, never having been a King Kong fan before, I think the 33 one still <laughs> held up really well just overall because um, there is like a lot of – I'm not a fan of the script because it's just kind of clunky, but like the effects and I think the characters – all pop pretty well pretty well so i i'm a fan of 33 i don't plan on ever exposing myself to son of kong from what you've said but <laughs> it's 
it's kind of like it, I feel like it's one of the original sequels nobody asked for because like you think of now um, even we were chatting earlier before we got on you got like what son of uh, the mask or whatever and you got all these other movies <laughs> like that I think that this is this is kind of like one of the early versions of that son of Kong it's a movie like probably barely anyone has ever heard of as well um, unless you're really into it um but yeah it's just a it's it's a weird movie to watch and even like it, it seems so rushed it's only 70 minutes um like it's it's nothing i'm wondering is has there ever been a good movie that's like a sequel it's like the son of blank like i can't think of anything that's like it's been actually good uh no i, I don't know that, that's <laughs> I don't, gotta, I don't think, yeah i don't think I'm so i'm gonna say no <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so on that one. But um, it was weird. I, my week was spent. Um, so I watched a bunch of just stuff throughout the week. I watched Doctor Strange Love for the first time, which was wonderful. I love that movie. Um, I want to talk about um, uh, what I watched last night, uh, which is the classic musical Gypsy, which um, I don't think either of you guys have seen it. But um, it was really interesting. And I'm more fascinated by like, so I watched it with one of my really good buddies who's just really into musicals. Um, like I think between musicals, I think and Westerns are like my two of my big blind spots and just movie watching throughout my life. Um, so I'm just like, I just left it to him. He's like, Hey, I need to watch a musical. What do you want to watch? And he's like, Oh, look, let's watch this gypsy together. I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so we both like, we just like FaceTimed each other and watched this movie and we both had our headphones in. So like the sound wouldn't like, um, we wouldn't hear like, we wouldn't echo between us, but, it was really bizarre because I feel like it was the first time I'd done like I'd like changed my viewing habits through like quarantine to like hang out with people while also not hanging out with people. Um, so it was, I don't know if you guys have, have you guys done anything like that where you've like maybe you FaceTime someone or like you like watch it together and you're like texting the whole time. I feel like maybe people are starting to do more of that as this time goes on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Me and my girlfriend, uh, we, we usually pick a movie and then we, we uh, started at the same time and yet yeah, text, text through it. I think that's a pretty smooth uh, way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to do it with stuff I haven't seen yet because if I'm with friends, I'm not going to pay attention. Uh, but like we, a couple friends of mine and I, we did like a Facebook hangout and watched Inglorious Bastards a couple weeks ago and that was a lot of fun. Um, even if it is kind of weird, just like, propping your phone up the whole time while trying to watch the movie. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. Like I was a little nervous about it or I was like, I don't know, I've never really seen this movie. Um and like I don't know like if I'm gonna like pay attention at all. But I feel like I feel like musicals are a good way like I feel like because they're not like super plot based or anything. Like it's not like primer where you're like what the hell is happening <laughs> in this movie where it's just like oh it's like song and dance and then there's fun overacting in between dancing. I feel like it's a a, one of the better genres to do it with to watch to do this and watch stuff for the first time but um as for the movie itself it was it, that was the first time i'd seen natalie wood in a movie um and i feel like that's just like one of the, like the stars i've been putting off seeing for a, a long time but you can clearly tell like how talented she was before she unfortunately died and it's ways we still don't quite understand um but like she's great in the movie um gypsy itself if you don't know is basically just it's one of those classic rise and fall and show business stories where it's um, there's this just over like their stage mom who's just like just overprotective and just in the middle of things. And like she's just like the ultimate like show business mom where she's just controlling everybody and they have this act. And then this the lead uh, girl like leaves and she's like she's 13. This is kind of a weird part of the movie, but she's 13. It's like, oh, sorry, guys, I'm getting married. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> what is happening? Um and so she leaves and then Natalie Wood takes over and it's about her kind of coming into her own. And like, she becomes like a burlesque dancer and she becomes really famous. Um, this is where the line, um, uh, mama, look at me. I'm a star comes from, uh, if you guys didn't know that, but, um, uh, really good to see her. The movie itself is like fine. It's pretty good. Um, but it was just very bizarre experience for me. I feel like, cause I feel like we're all starting to get, a little more creative. I know I saw some people last night or last weekend at a social, socially distant um, gathering. Um, so I feel like people are just trying to do basically whatever they can just to like talk to people and just not go crazy by themselves. So it was just, it was really fascinating. I thought I'd share that. It's just a very bizarre thing for me to do, but it was fun. I enjoyed it quite a bit. 
Yeah, it's, it's nice. Like, I've mainly just been playing video games online <laughs> and socializing <laughs> that way or, like, just doing FaceTime or whatever. But, yeah, I think, especially, like, if, you know, theaters and stuff don't really open again, I think that'll probably be something I do more frequently now that we're going full into summer. And, I mean, maybe the drive-in, but nobody knows what's going on with that where I live, so. Um, I think one... An interesting thing that that they have is uh, you have to go through Google Chrome to do it, but uh, the Netflix party um, ability where you can, I I don't know what the max is, but you can have a bunch of people in uh, at the same time. And I think you have one person to control it or everybody can control it and you guys can essentially play and pause at the same time. And on the right hand side, there's a chat bar. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of that before. I actually haven't. No, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, the, the movie's kind of just playing, and then just on that corner right side, there's the chat bar, and if anyone obviously needs to get up and do something or something, someone pauses it, it pauses for everybody. I haven't tried it yet, but I've seen uh, seen people try it, and, and it seems to work pretty well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a part of that physical media gang, so. <laughs> um, Colin, but yeah. Colin, Colin isn't, isn't up for big streaming service. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mess around with that. Um, actually I do a lot, but <laughs> I just, even like, even when I watched Inglorious Bastards with, um, some friends a couple weeks ago, like I could have just pulled it up on Netflix, but it just, it's more satisfying to go and grab it off the shelf and, you know, pop it in the, in the player. Okay. Boom. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's my boomer. Moment. Uh, Colin, you, you know what, Colin, you know, it, it's great when you see the, the, the play scene selection extras and all that. I love watching that. Um, you're right. It, it, there, there is a different feel to it. The smell when you open a new DVD, you don't get that when you open a new streaming app, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but that pretty much wraps it up for this week's episode. Um, so we'll be back next week talking about our other recommendations as well as just other movie stuff going on as hopefully we start to move into some kind of openings in the next few weeks just kind of seeing what those look like and remember you can always check us out online at moviebabblereviews.com Reviews.com.